Hey guys, this is Georgia with Ancient Aliens, and you're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens with Jamie and Bree. You're listening to That One Time I Was Abducted by Aliens. I'm Jamie. I'm Bree, and we're two sides of the coin. Did you know that you're listening to a podcast right now? Did you know that you guys are my favorite listeners in all of the Milky Way galaxy? I knew that. That's presumptuous. We're trying to not awkwardly start the podcast. <laughs> but in true tradition, we are as awkward as ever. So Brie, what are we talking about tonight? We're diving into the bluegrass state of Kentucky. Brum, brum, brum. There's a lot of motivation for us doing Kentucky right now, and we're going to get into all of those things. And I feel like this episode's going to be a little bit packed. So Brie, we're here. We're in Kentucky. And what was our inspiration for being here in Kentucky? Well, I'm going to have to say my biggest inspiration would have to be I watched both seasons of Hellier. Did you watch it? I did. Not all of it, but I did. So should we start with Hellier then? And then... We might as well because that really, I know that that was your inspiration. You were excited yeah. about it. I'm interested to hear what you don't like about the show. You said Kentucky. I knew in my head, oh, because she's hyped up on Hellier right now. And I just thought, perfect, because I have plenty of notes in my phone already about Kentucky. I could, you know, we'll just chat. But I know that something about that show lit a flame, something you liked about it. Well, I'll start off by saying one of my big motivations for wanting to pick Kentucky is because Hellier is all the buzz right now and people are talking about it. And you know that I love to stay in relevant news and topics. What better to jump on this bandwagon and we can do a whole, you know, we're doing the state thing right now. Why not do a whole thing on Kentucky? And I did watch Hellier. I will say I'm not madly in love with it, which I think Brie is very surprised about. I think she thought I was gonna be like super hyped about it. You were pushing me to watch it. Well, because I wanted you to experience it as well. Gotcha. Because I do think that genuinely, like I would recommend it to people to watch. I think it was very good. I don't know if I'm on the bandwagon for the whole of it per se, personally. I gotta tell you, it got better towards the end. I feel like majority of the episodes for first season were really boring. I hate to say it. I felt like, I can't believe Jamie likes this because usually something really has to grab your attention for you mm -hmm. to even pay attention. Mm -hmm. Maybe you were still on your phone or doing whatever, had it on in the background. Mm -hmm. But for me, I felt like I had to really pay attention. And even then it was camera shots and dark scenery just for you to watch, if that makes any sense. There wasn't really too much to me happening. Although, I would love to watch the season again and start a drinking game where every time you hear the word synchronicity, you take a shot. See, and one of the reasons I wanted you to watch it is because the whole synchronicities thing is one of the things that kind of sold it to me and what yeah. I was enjoying about it. Now, I will say that I went into watching it how I do any of these kind of paranormal, ghosty, alien, way things, movies, documentaries that you see. You can't have too much of a hype that you're going about to see a bunch of crazy shit on video, right? So... Here I am like, okay, I'm going to think about this like the last five movies I've seen that has to do with this kind of shit, not expecting a lot. So I think that's why I was okay with it starting off slowly. And it did start off slow, but got a lot better. And the second season was a lot better than the first, I believe. I will agree with you though. It is hard to watch paranormal shows because you know that they're more than likely not going to capture a lot on camera. A lot of it, you have to be there to experience it, to experience those synchronicities, to catch all the feels. Sometimes it's hard to watch and then just take their word for it that something spooky is happening. A big reason that I liked it was because I enjoyed all of those little synchronicities and stuff because I found those to be much more 
of evidence than physical mm -hmm. photos or video is because I'm a big believer and a proponent in there's no better evidence than evidence of you actually experiencing it, your own personal experience. And so we got to witness that. We got to witness these people having their experience. And so I was really hooked in on that, even though there wasn't a lot of quote unquote physical evidence that they could be showing you. I found the whole thing very scary. And there were times where at night I was watching it and I had to turn it off because I was like, oh. Because again, you do get way more afraid than you will admit. Mm -hmm. You didn't even watch Hell House. You didn't finish no. Hill House. Mm -mm, and I no. remembered that in mm -hmm. our last recording when you're like, I don't really get scared. And I was thinking, this chick wouldn't even watch Hill House by herself. Well, sometimes when, it, okay. <laughs> Especially, listen, if I lived in a big city, a big apartment or something, I probably wouldn't be too tripped out. But I live like in the middle of nowhere and it's scary. There's nothing out there. So it's always silent. So any little sound is, ooh, so I'm good. And they were also out in the middle of nowhere too. They're not nearly as in the middle of nowhere as you are. And I should have said that flipped around. You are not nearly as oh, in the middle of nowhere as, as they, they are. are. Exactly. It's a small town, but it's not like the boondocks. Yeah. So the one thing that I really loved about it is how much they brought in the whole magic and Aleister Crowley stuff and how it started out as searching for a weird alien, but then morphed into like God knows really what it is now. So I enjoyed that whole kind of play on it. Now, this is very similar to a podcast I listened to called Tannis. And it's kind of the same premise where this kid has this goal of trying to find someone and stumbles upon all these conspiracies and like secret societies and magic and all sorts of shit. So okay, wait a second, skirt. Is this actually really happening? Or is this kind of playing off of that same idea that's already out there? This is a very successful podcast that's out there and this whole premise behind it. Now I'm not saying that they're the same thing or one person bit off another one or whatever it is. I'm just saying it's super similar to me. So I'm already like, okay, wait, I've kind of, I've, I've, had, I've heard this story before. I kind of know what's happening. But the story in general, I really do enjoy. I like the people who are involved with it. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm a little bit concerned with how much publicity it has now with the people who are gonna reach out and contact them and the rabbit holes they're gonna go down to. That kind of makes me worried. Almost to the point of, do you want there to be more episodes? Because how real is it gonna be now? Especially if you have people who are just fucking with them, like sending them random coordinates that makes it seem like it's this bigger thing when it's not. And they're really concerned about that in the show too. Mm -hmm. Let me make that clear. Like they're very skeptical of when people reach out to them now. I'm also very jealous of them and I wish that we had money to like follow some weird email that someone sent us because yeah. it sounds like literally the time of our fucking life and I'm so jealous of it. It sounds so amazing. So I'm not knocking it. I would totally do it. I'm just a little bit concerned now that it's so public, like where, where it's going to go, because I did the second season was really, really good and I really enjoyed it. But now I'm kind of like worried, like, where does it go now? Because it's not secret anymore. I can understand that concern, but it's hard. It's like, what do you do? Just close the door and not continue on in your search. And it could be that maybe they're not necessarily getting the idea from another podcast, like you were saying. Obviously, that's an option. It could also be that whenever you follow a lead that is somewhat in the paranormal, everything tends to be connected, things you don't expect. And so maybe that's just how the story ends up unraveling. It always comes back to weird occultic magic and the synchronicities happen and more paranormal things you never thought could even be linked together with ghosts and aliens and all of that. It has to be all a part of the same phenomena. So maybe that's just a part of the process and when you're a seeker of this kind of strangeness. 
I will admit though, I really want us to try the Estes method that they have going on. I want that God helmet too. Oh my God, I saw that and I was like, Brie would die in that. I tried to look it up yesterday. Obviously, it's a different name. Yeah. I didn't get a dollar price. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, night vision, God helmet. Ooh. So many possibilities. I, I would think, love to do that. Well, honestly, what I enjoyed about it the most is I think the first time that people really got introduced to it is when the guy was ghost hunting in the, the Stanley Hotel. And so he was doing it to talk to ghosts. I don't feel like they're talking to ghosts when I'm watching Hellier, when they're using the Estes method. I don't necessarily think they're they're talking to ghosts. There was one time where I was pretty convinced they were talking to a space alien. It could, again, it's all connected. It's all yeah. part of the weird, strange phenomena. And that's one thing I actually really like about Whitley Strieber is he's really into ghosts and aliens are 100% connected. Yeah. Somehow yeah. they're in maybe the same space or they can access the same space. They have the same means of communicating with us. Whatever it is, who knows? It could have been a mixture of ghosts and interdimensional yeah. beings and darker beings mm -hmm. and all of it. But to me, it was really exciting. I think it would be a lot of fun for us to try it. So I think we need to get some, I feel like you do have noise canceling headphones. We'll get some fucking white noise going and we'll just go sit outside with the aliens and see what happens. One of us will go under, one of us will ask the questions. I mean, let's just try it. Like, I think that's a big part that I like about the takeaway of this TV show series, whatever we're calling it, even though it's streaming. They also want you to go out and do it too. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily like go pack your shit and go to Kentucky and bother people. <laughs> But also, like, you guys should be more aware of the things that are going on around you. And here are some tools that you can help to maybe figure some things out. And they're really encouraging about people using the Estes method and, like, trying, try it yourself. See what results you get. We're not guaranteeing this is right or this is true. But it was also very interesting the way the thing was answering back right away. You've seen a lot of times when people talk to these ghost box and stuff like that. Like, this was incredible. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Yeah, I have to say I do appreciate that they're putting their boots on the ground, investigators. It's not just about binging on the computer that, you know, we're very good at that too, but also just getting out and being there and being able to touch the phenomena opposed to picking it apart through a story. Mm -hmm. I'd say I'm going to finish the second season. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And maybe we'll just start trying out all their methods. And before you, you know it, we're also paranormal investigators. Did you watch the part where they got the tones? Bing, 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 bing. But isn't she saying that? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. have you watched the part yet where they play all the tones together? Mm -mm. Oh, yeah, you gotta... They go okay, now the that reminds me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And that's why it reminded me of Tannis a lot, because there's a, a part in Tannis where they have to play tones. Regardless, all of this is very connected and it's very interesting, and so I'm very mm -hmm. intrigued by it. You know, I love the whole Aleister Crowley part of it. You know, I soak my bones in that. I love that so much. But also, I'm just, all right, well, this is another good avenue. I'm just concerned about where it's going to go next. Because at some point, you have to hit a climax, right, in this story. Like, they're going to no! have to find something out. Who knows where it can go now? Who has any goddamn idea? But it's very interesting. And I'll stay tuned in. I'd love to interview them and talk to them about it and about the things that they felt and they heard. And I'd really like to hear the emotions behind their story. I mean, even more than we already did. You know what I mean? I like that he made the connection that all those points in Kentucky were on the 37th parallel because I've been telling you we need to do an episode about that. I was going to say. And then I'm like, what? Every time I heard him talk about it, um, in my brain, it's just brie, 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 like every single time. So that's interesting. We're going to have to talk about it eventually. And I think this more 
this is a synchronicity for us to, to go in that direction, to investigate that a little bit more. Agree. All right, Bree. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode now that we've talked about Hellier and given us our, you know, our review. Don't take it seriously. We're not good at reviewing things. We're good about telling you stories about aliens. <laughs> well, this is a strange story about aliens. Are we talking Kelly Hopkinsville? The Goblins? The Gibby Gabbies? So we're just going to go over it quickly, guys, because I don't think that it warrants a whole conversation or an episode about. It's a story that a lot of people have talked about. You can listen to it on a million other podcasts who go over this. So Brie, why don't you just give me the little run over about what happened? One thing I will start off by saying is I think this what gives the term little green men. Their whole cadence. Yes. I think this is where it starts. August 21st, 1955 on a summer night. Billy Ray, who's a family friend of the Sutton family, out in a little farmhouse that they have, he goes out to fetch some water out of the well, and he sees a silver disc streaking across the sky with this rainbow light. Then he notices that it lands in the forest area beyond the house. So he runs inside, he tells everyone in the family, there's a group of people in the house, no one believes him, So Sonny Sutton runs out to see if he was really telling the truth. And they see this glowing green aura haziness that's coming out from the forest. And out steps these four foot tall silvery creatures. So they freak out, run into the house. It's basically panic. And they do the one thing that they could think to do, which is to grab their guns. And go and shoot at it. They made it sound like they were being attacked by the the little little men. And so they started a firefight with them in the middle of the night. (laughs) And honestly, it warded them off for a while. I get this hilarious vision in my head of... Everyone with their rifles out of the windows and all the side doors and just shooting, shooting for hours like, got him. But obviously they didn't because none of these creatures, like their bodies weren't found. Like the police came, they called the police and the police came and there was like no evidence of anything Mm -hmm. that was like murdered there. They said that they had some type of weird protected suits, almost like the suits were a type of armor where the bullets weren't able to penetrate the skin. So they're literally just wasting rounds and rounds of bullets towards these creatures that aren't even being bothered by it. Why they would continue to shoot at these creatures. I mean, I don't know. When you're in the heat of the moment and you're afraid of something, who knows? You know what I mean? This is just their vibes. Who even knows if the story is real or not real? We have no idea. But it is said that the police left and then the green men came back and the whole family packed up their shit and left <laughs> they're the house. Out. They're like, peace, I'm out. You guys know the story. They've, I'm pretty sure they've done like a TV show about it or a movie or something. They've done some shit about it. You guys can dig into it. It's an interesting story. I find it more funny than anything else. It's, it's definitely the biggest story in Kentucky about aliens and they have a whole like festival every year surrounding it as well. That's what I think is cool is I know that the town gave them a lot of shit for that. People didn't believe them. People continued to camp outside of the front of the house waiting for these little green men to come back and they never did. So people, you know, thought they were liars or they were saying, oh, they drank too much moonshine, you know. But then they ended up turning this into a festival later down the road, which I think is very cool. Anytime there's an alien UFO festival, I'm 100% in. That could be to drive revenue into the town. But who cares? It's a festival about UFOs and aliens and I'd love to go. 
All right, so let's get into a story that me and Brie are a little bit iffy about, although, but we both wanted to cover. So we're talking about the Paintsville UFO train crash. Buckle yourselves in, guys. This is a wild ride. All right, Brie, you you kick this off because I know that you're very excited about this one. Super excited. Let's just say this was on January 14th, 2002, which tomorrow is the 18-year anniversary. Oh, perfect. Perfection. It'll be past the anniversary when you guys hear this episode, True. but recording-wise, here recording it is. Was. At exactly 2.47 a.m. Do you want to know why I know that? How? One of the witnesses says that when the UFO hit his train, his watch stopped and broke exactly at that time. Not a minute before, not a minute less. Nope. Let's start off by saying that keyword, witness. We can call him witness or experiencer. We don't have this person's name who no. filed this report. No, we have nobody's names. Here's the rundown. A train from Russell to Shelby on a Kentucky that was transferring coal was tooting along its way. It was just like chugga, 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 choo-choo. I feel like I'm supposed to eat something now. <laughs> like you're going to feed me <laughs> mashed potatoes. So they're going along. They're right outside of Paintsville. They're kind of rounding around the corner and they see this light on the tracks that they think is another train. So they kind of flash their lights, trying to see what's going on. Then all of a sudden they notice that the mechanics in their train like weren't quite working. The onboard computer is kind of like flickering in and out and they're starting to not be able to have control of what's going on. While this is happening, they also notice up in the sky above them are three metallic objects with no windows, with big searchlights scanning over this like lake area, really kind of looking for something. And so right as they're rounding the corner, they hit this thing. Crash. They're taking the corner and it's like, <laughs> wee-woo, wee-woo, wee-woo. Everything's like. <laughs> and it hits the front of them, flies up in the sky, flips over, and then disappears. And they look over and the three metal objects that were up in the sky aren't there anymore. And they're slowly starting to come to a stop because they finally have slowed down after hitting the UFO. It was like two miles or something before mm-hmm. they could even stop their train. Like, what the fuck is that? Everything inside that's moving the train, everything just goes haywire. You see some UFOs, and then what, you hit it? It's crazy, honestly. I feel like I'm in the train, and everything's like, woo, 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 woo. It's like when the planes are crashing, and all the lights are flashing, and all the buttons are going off, all the noises, and you're like, So it comes to the stop. They jump out. They're trying to assess the damage. They see, like, things are smoking. It's not going so well. Well, all the electronics start to kick back on, and they're able to kind of limp their way to Paintsville, to the train yard that's there. And here's where the story gets interesting, I think. Mm -hmm. The whole hitting it with the UFO, searchlights, whatever, get it, we've all seen weird shit, that's fine. But then, as they roll up to the train station, it's almost like an army of people, headlights and vehicles, officials and tents set up. You know, because it took them a while to get there. It's not like they got there quickly. Obviously, there was enough time for all of these people to show up. And the reason that all these people are showing up here is because they called in this crash to their supervisors. And they were like, hey, guys, this is what's going on. This is where we're going to. And as they're rolling up, the people, the workers on the train kind of just assume that these are people in the train yard working on it. But once they come to a complete stop, they're swarmed upon by all these people, people just tending to the train, people rushing them off of the train and out of an area to talk to them. 
and all these people are gathered up and asked millions of questions by a guy named Ferguson. And he takes them all and is just asking them a million questions. So many questions that they don't, they don't even know what time it is. They don't know how long they've been there for. It's just question after question after question. One thing that's really important to note is this train yard wasn't even in service where they stopped. That was just the closest stop that they could get to. So it's not like you would even assume people to be there from the beginning. So the fact that this happens and there's just like a swarm of people, it's like the movies when something happens, they call everyone, the army, the, you know, secret people to just show up and that's the kind of scene that I see in my mind when I hear this story. Yeah, this is definitely sounds like some men in black shit that's like, oh, this is typical. This sounds like, this is the reason why, although the story is kind of sketchy because we don't know anything about it, like there's no names or anything, it's also very typical of like, this is what would happen and this is why we don't know any information about it. So after their questioning, they get sent off for medical testing and as they're walking out the door, you know, the witnesses are noticing that there's all these temporary tents set up and the train cars already taken apart and people are looking at things. And Ferguson kind of turns to them and says, this is a national security measure and they would appreciate their silence on the matter. <laughs> I love the way that they say that. That's like when something happens and they say, we appreciate your cooperation before you even have the opportunity to not cooperate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so then they go home, they take a nice little night nap, they wake back up and they head over to the train yard to see what's going on. Brie, what the fuck happens when they get there? Nothing is there. The shop is gone. Their train isn't there. The two cars or the locomotives that was demolished. There's no tents. There's no people working. It's like nothing happened. That is some serious men in black shit right there. Absolutely. And I believe they were even told when they're waiting that they had to be drug tested. It just sounds like they were creating a bunch of nonsense, buying time, let them take a nap. Who's to say when they woke up, they can be like, you sure that wasn't a weird dream? Mm -hmm, you know, exactly. everything's gone. There's You've been no here for three proof. days. What are you talking about? Yeah. So we don't know. We don't know about this one. It almost has all the tall tale signs of being like a real thing, but it also has all the tall tale signs of being a completely made up bullshit story. But that's what's so fucking intriguing about it. I wish we had more information. I wish there was a way to find more information. I wish whoever this was, they have to still be alive. It's only 2002. Find us, email us, let us know. Like, tell me who these people are. Let's actually figure out what the fuck happened here. I read the report six times, trying to get the vibes for it. But on the Center for um, the International UFO Studies, that's where they have this report. And it's like a big disclaimer that this was a hoax. And they apologized to the investigators that went and tried to investigate this whole thing. But then at the end, there was one small disclaimer that said all the detail on the report about the train sounds right. So at least the person that made that report does work on a train. There's, of course, other comments from people like, no, this is bullshit. I worked there, blah, 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 blah. So it's conflicting. Obviously, when a UFO reporting center is like, no, we've totally dug into this and this was, you know, proven to be a hoax, I'm more inclined to believe them. But at the same time, it's kind of like with MUFON. They're so nuts and bolts that if there isn't enough for them to hold on to, they dismiss it where it's perfectly plausible that this did happen and that the government was so fantastic at erasing every single piece of evidence that it actually did happen. Let's break it down to a factor sci-fi then. Are you gonna factor sci-fi this one? <sighs> I'm gonna middle bitch it personally. I was gonna middle bitch it too. That's fine, we could both middle bitch it. 
You know, I have to say now, maybe I'll lean more on the fact side. Sometimes I just have to get my own thoughts out before just my brain is thinking it. My brain first initially is like, I don't believe it. They say right here, these people dove into all the research and they're like, we're so sorry. This is a hoax. But then, like I said, I talk it out and it's like, oh, well, maybe it isn't. There's plenty of experiences that people have had where there isn't enough proof, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. So maybe I will lean more towards the fact side. Well, there's also a lot of people who say that what they've said is a hoax for a lot of different mm, motivations. Yeah. So who's to say that the person who this is isn't coming out and saying it's a hoax because maybe their life is being threatened. Like there's a lot of different scenarios we can go down. So it's hard. Yeah, the only thing that was really holding me back was it was hard to believe a UFO wasn't fast enough to get out of the way. <laughs> They're like literally light years ahead. So, all right, Brie, let's move on to one of our favorite topics. Uh, let's talk a little Bigfoot. Let's talk a little big toe. The Spootsville monster is a story back in 1975 from the Nunnally family. The Nunnally family claims that they were basically terrorized by eight foot tall monsters. This went on for about a year, almost every night. Some of the stories that the family talks about are these glimpses that they see of this huge creature and the skin being a grayish leather, but also being completely covered in hair. Mm. There are stories of them hearing branches breaking and snapping out into the forest, and they thought maybe it was just a bear, but then this giant monster would step out of the forest and just look at them, and they would run inside the house. Almost like he's not afraid of them. Maybe he's claiming that land over theirs. Mm -hmm. There were other strange stories of their animals starting to disappear. Some of the cattle starting to die. But then cattle mutilations. And one thing that I thought was very strange was an account of some of these cattle mutilations looking like it was surgically done. To me, I don't think of a Bigfoot conducting those type of mutilations. I think of UFO activity, not a monster Bigfoot creature that's maybe going to tear things apart with their teeth and it's going to be a gross mess. So maybe this was a case in which there could have been some type of UFO activity interacting with the Bigfoot creature. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think like we said earlier, ghosts and aliens are all connected. Well, I think Bigfoot and aliens are connected forever. True. But another reason why that stuck out to me is because there was a anonymous helper of the family. He refused to come out with his name. He was one night walking around the property and he looks through an old shack, one of these old abandoned buildings that they had. And he looks through this little peephole and here standing right in front of him is that giant monster, that giant Bigfoot-like creature. And this guy had a shotgun in his hand, so he was ready to blow it the second he saw it. But he didn't even have a second. The second he looked at it through the peephole, it vanished out of thin air. We're talking an interdimensional Bigfoot now. It just blinked out like, bam, I'm gone. So those two things might coincide together. We have weird cattle mutilations that are surgically done, UFO, and then you have a Bigfoot that literally disappears in front of your eyes. That isn't that strange phenomenon, not just physical monstrous creature that we have yet to catalog. Well, the whole story kind of reminds me of Skinwalker Ranch a little bit. You have like a family going out and moving to a farm, you know, from the big city maybe, getting back to a simpler life. 
and then they're terrorized by something that's on the land. Like, you know, Skinwalker wasn't necessarily big giant Bigfoot creatures. It was a big weird wolf looking thing, but it's kind of that same thing. You have these people being terrorized and there was a huge investigation into this area, into Spootsville, trying to figure out what it was and they never found anything, of course, I mean. Come on. Yeah, and even in the surrounding areas, there was another town, this person named Josh Morris, who was out doing some farm work and saw up the ravine. It caught his attention because all of a sudden, all of these deers and bunnies, squirrels, you name it, just came trampling through this area of the ravine. Something scared the shit out of them for them to all run out of that area. 10 minutes later, he looks over and notices this giant monster that's hanging outside of a barn with his hand holding onto the top beam of this building. And that freaks him out, so he leaves. It isn't until later he comes back to see how tall that barn was, and that barn was like over 10 feet tall. So this creature was huge to be able to just stand there holding onto the beam of that farmhouse. Again, to me, the fact that he's just standing there staring at him makes me think of a some type of creature that's like, hey, I'm not afraid of you. Where in many of these cases, no one really gets a chance to have any like real tangible Bigfoot sightings. They might see him for a second or there's some type of remnant. There's a, a footprint. There's, you know, stuff like that that indicates Bigfoot activity but not where a Bigfoot just steps out and staring at you like, sup bro? That to me seems like something's claiming the land maybe. I was here first. I can definitely see that. Sounds like we're gonna have to go there and investigate ourselves. Yeah, the Cherokee Nation in that area called that creature the old people in the forest. That's what they're known as. Mm. The old people in the forest. So again, that rings to me that they were there way before our human peoples are. And so they're kind of like claiming that land. It's more like, boo, be scared. Well, speaking of Bigfoot, why don't we jump in real quick to our fact, our sci-fi, since it has to do with a Bigfoot. All right, Bree, so you saw the video, right? Yes. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off a few reactions first, and then we'll give our own. It's a very Bigfoot-tastic episode. You're welcome, Bobby. J plus says, it's either an owl or pinball Bobby. I'm calling sci-fi on this one. Bobby says, fact as fuck. Of course. And Weather Tradition says owl. So let me start off by saying that number one, owls are aliens. So if you think this is an owl, this is probably an alien, which means that it's Bigfoot. So by, <laughs> by seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, you basically just called it an alien slash Bigfoot. So that's fine. Uh, uh. I'm gonna have to sci-fi it on this one. I it doesn't look like anything to me personally. It just looks like some eyes. It could be anything. There's tree branches. It could be an anaconda. It could be an owl. Anaconda. It could be my anaconda. Don't want none unless you got buns, hon. <laughs> I second the sci-fi. Okay, we're, we're. I'm surprised. I thought you were like all in on it. No. Why you're very off this episode with me today? I am. But you think that I'm gonna assume a bunch of because things? Because overall, you fact things. Well, overall, I middle bitch towards more skeptical towards sometimes everything than you are. I'm just naturally more skeptical. All right, we're getting into our last story of the episode, and we're it's a doozy, guys. It's called the Stanford abduction in Kentucky. To briefly go over it, three women driving home from dinner get abducted by aliens. Horrible. I know. At least it's on full stomach. Mona Stafford, Louise Smith, and Elaine Thomas were out at a birthday dinner for Mona at a place called the Redwood Restaurant. 
They were leaving the restaurant. Mind you, no alcohol was consumed. Let me start off by saying there. It was about 11.15 at night and they were driving their 1967 Chevy Nova. Who has a birthday party dinner with no alcohol? Just, okay, I had to, had to throw whoa, that in there. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Maybe they're sober. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Kombucha, kombucha has a small... To be fair, the Redwood restaurant in my head sounds like something on the side of the road that you stopped by. Like a True. kind of a Denny's kind of vibe. So it doesn't really sound like there'd be a lot of alcohol there in yeah, general. Yeah, I feel you. This is also 1976. So different vibes, different vibes. I feel you. They turn onto Highway 78 and they're scooting along, driving down sitting in the car, enjoying, talking about what a wonderful night they've had, when all of a sudden the three of them see like a bright red object up in the sky. To them, it almost looks like an airplane that's on fire and it's gonna fall down and crash somewhere. So they're driving this little vehicle, Louise, she's driving it, she's driving away, and she's like, we should probably follow it, because like, what if someone needs help? What if this is an airplane crash? Oh man. Who knows what's happening? So as they're pursuing it, all of a sudden, their car gets all fucking wonky and shit. Mm. Starts kind of going in and out, and then all of a sudden, they lose control of the vehicle, and the vehicle is going 85 miles what? an hour down the freeway. This car, they've never gone that fast before. These are three nice ladies, 1976. They're not crazy. <laughs> they don't even have wine with dinner. Just barreling down this freeway following this UFO. Pedal to the metal. <laughs> well, they're speeding up so fast that the UFO ends up behind them, almost following them, tailing them. And they're just chugging along down the road. And all of a sudden, the UFO kind of comes over them and swoops right next to the driver's side. Through the driver's side, all three girls say that they witnessed an enormous metallic disc-shaped object with a dome on top, a ring of red lights around it, and a yellow blinking light on the underbelly. It stayed along the driver's side for a while before moving ahead of the car, and as it got out in front of him, a bluish-white light shot into the car. And I mean, this light was burning them. It was so bright. They remember not being able to open their eyes. They felt kind of like they were almost in pain. And it's in this moment that they're kind of all of a sudden outside of the car and being backed into like a pasture area. What? And exactly. Next thing they know, they're in the car, they're driving home, and they've arrived at home. They look at the clock and they're like, whoa, it's super late at night. That trip should have really only taken us about maybe 40 minutes and we've been gone for two hours now. They go over to the neighbor's house and they're like, bro, what time is it? And the people confirm like, yo, sounds like you guys had some missing time. The girls, their eyes are hurting. They have open visible wounds on their body, like burn marks on them, and they have no idea what happened to them. Sounds like some mean aliens. For serious. Slowly over time, the girls start to realize what happened to them. You know, they call the police the next day. The police don't do anything about it. They're talking to the Navy. They're like, I don't know what's going on. And then finally, they're like starting to piece things together. They think that they were abducted by aliens, but they don't really know for sure. Even Jay Allen Hynek comes down to investigate, to talk to them. The girls ended up doing regression and learning a lot about what happened. The regression sessions are very interesting because all three of the girls really didn't want to do them. They were there because they wanted to do it, but you know what I mean? They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to relive. Don't blame them. They had a huge amount of psychological damage that was done to them. They could not function much after this encounter. They were having horrible nightmares. Like I said, their eyes were burning, like almost like they were getting cataracts because of whatever bright light that was on them. They had visible burn marks, whether that be the lights or what happened to them when they were abducted. You know, they said through this regression that they remember being abducted and had experiments being done on them and things like that. It's very interesting. It's something that's very well documented. And these witnesses aren't people who are making things up. 
those poor ladies. There's a lot more details that goes into their, their abduction. You guys should definitely look into it. This is kind of, you know, a quick Passover at what's going on. I absolutely believe these three ladies got abducted and you can go watch some of the interviews with them that they have on YouTube and things like that. It's, it's an incredible story and it puts a lot of things into perspective that not all experiences are good experiences, even though that's what we really want because course, we're big yeah. proponents of the light and love of the world but you know sometimes we don't get that unfortunately absolutely sometimes it's traumatizing and the beings are traumatizing and it's horrible i feel bad for people with those experiences or i should say i sympathize with people that have had those experiences it sounds very uncomfortable and very rough hard to deal with and then continue with life after that I think the important thing is talking about it, guys. Find someone to talk to about if you've had experiences like this. Reach out, have communication. There's probably other people out there who have dealt with stuff like this too. So I think that that's an important thing. Especially in Kentucky. All right, Bree, why don't you give us a little bit of wisdom and knowledge to end this episode on? I have a quick conscious quote for you today from Eckhart Tolle, who I've quoted here many times before because he's one of my very, very favorites. The primary cause of unhappiness is never the situation, but your thoughts about it. I think it's very clear. We can all stomach that one. It's not always the problem. It's just your preconceived notions about it. What you've believed in your head is the real problem or giving it reasons why it's bad opposed to just dealing with what it actually is that's in front of you. I also think a big part of that too is just your reactions to things. When you react negatively to something, you're putting that negativity out there and maybe something bad happens and instead of getting frustrated by it or upset by it, you look at the more positive light of things and it changes that situation. So I think we all need to think with a little bit more positivity in our life. Yeah, it's just reminding us that we put a lot of words and ideas into something opposed to dealing with what it actually is. And because of those words and ideas, we make it into something negative where that's not necessarily the case. So before we think about things way too hard before they've even happened and assume the worst, get all worked up about it to just relax and let whatever happens happens. And sometimes you would be surprised that nothing happened the way that you thought it was going to go. All right, Brie, I think it's time for some shout outs. Brandy. Destiny. Vanessa. Daniel. Dylan. Anthony. J plus. Matt. Bobby. Rod. Simon. Spacey D. Ap, Jan, Reese, Melissa, and Shay. Love you guys. Love you guys, except not Bobby. Bobby, you can go fuck yourself. Wait, before we go, before we go, Brie, I just want you to know that for this new year, I think that I'm going to continue to say fuck you, Mountain View, California. Bye, everyone. <laughs> wow. Good night.